0: morning. It's good to see you this morning. We're going to be diving into John 21. If you want to turn there in your Bible or uh, on your phone or tablet. If you were with us last week on Easter, we were in John 20 uh, for Easter Sunday morning. And Michael asked me if I would teach for him uh, during this hour this week. And so we're just going to keep moving along into John 21. And we're going to follow uh, the same format that we did last Sunday morning. And in the 9 o'clock hour, we've been doing this every week for about the past month now, and it's based on this acronym text. The first T stands for talk to God, and here in just a minute, um, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to ask God to speak to us out of the Bible and teach us out of the truth of his word that that we wouldn't come to this time and treat it uh, like it is just an academic exercise or an intellectual exercise, and that if I teach well enough and explain well enough or you listen well enough and understand well enough that we'll get the stuff that we need uh, out of this text. That's not what's going to happen. That on a much deeper level that the Spirit of God has to do a work that only He can do, that He has to open our eyes spiritually spiritually to see the truth about God and, and open our ears spiritually to really hear it on a spiritual level and work in our hearts and soften our hearts so that we would believe this truth and that we would love God as he's revealing himself to us and he would change our hearts. And so we're going to ask God to do that and admit that we're dependent on him, admit that he's the only one who can do that, um, that, that this is not just a time for human effort, human explanations, human understanding, but this is a time when On a deep spiritual level, we want to encounter God, and we want Him to do work that only He can do by His Spirit. And then we're going to read the Bible together. We're going to read John 21 out loud with this focus. Encounter God in His Word. Believing that God comes to to meet with us and speak to us and teach us in this time, and we want to be looking for Him. And so the first question, the primary question we're going to ask is, what does this teach about God, that we would approach this with God as the starting place, that the main truths that we need to learn this morning are truths about God, who God is, how God works, what his nature and character is, that God is the foundation for everything, for everything that exists, for the whole world, for our lives, and we have to start with him, that if we don't have the right view of God, if we don't understand God rightly, we won't understand anything else rightly, that God is at the center. And that all things orbit around him. And that if we aren't approaching everything in our lives and us like he's at the center, you know, if we're off over here focusing on this somewhere, we're already in the wrong place. That If we don't start with him, if, if he's not the foundation, if we're not building on him, you know, to change the illustrations here, then we're already completely off base. That you won't understand anything else in your entire life rightly if you don't have the right view of God. So what does this teach us about who God is? And then also, because God is speaking to us, he's revealing himself to us, we also want to ask, what does God teach about us? That there are things in this text and all throughout the Bible, truths about us where God's saying, hey, this is who you are, especially apart from me, and this is how you need me, and this is who you are with me and that he has things to say to us in relation to who he is. And so as we encounter God in his word, those are going to be the two main questions we're asking. What does this teach about God? What does this teach about us? And as I'm reading John 21 in a minute, I want you to be listening in the text, in the scripture, for the Spirit to be answering those questions. And I'm going to ask you to share those answers, what you hear God saying to all of us this morning uh, as we walk through that in just a few minutes. So I want to give you a head up, heads up on that. I'm going to clean this off a little bit. The X is because this is a spiritual work and we know that God is wanting us to encounter him in such a way that he impacts us and changes us and shapes us. We're saying, okay, then after we've found out these truths about God and us, it's time for us to examine our hearts. X is examine your heart. What is God saying specifically to you right now about your life? It may be things he's encouraging you in that he's strengthening you and saying, hey, keep persevering. Believe this more deeply. Cling to this truth. Live by this truth. You know, keep doing this. It may be ways that he's challenging you. It may be ways that he's convicting you. It may be ways that he's correcting you or redirecting you. Or it may be something that you've been facing in your life and you didn't have answers. You didn't know what to do. And he's speaking to that this morning and saying, because of who I am, this. Because you know me a little more now, you know a little bit more about how I'm working in your life and what I'm doing and how you face this situation, what I'm calling you to do. But what's he saying to your heart? What's he want you to believe more, cling to more, believe more deeply? What's he want to change in you? How does he need to shape your heart so that you look more like Jesus and live more like Jesus and depend more on Jesus and rely more on Jesus? And part of the reason we say examine your heart here is, again, because we really believe that this is a spiritual work of God. Like the point this morning is not just to change your behavior. It's not even just to change your thinking a little bit. It's not just to shape your, its not to make you a good church member. It's not to make you a good model citizen. It's not so that we can give you some things that you can take home and this will make your kids obey you better. All that stuff may be the outworking of what God does in your heart, but we can do all of that on a surface and superficial level, right? I can ring a bell and give a dog food enough and teach it to salivate. We don't want just behavior modification. We don't want, you know, I said that this isn't an academic time. This isn't an intellectual time. This is also not a habitual cultural time. Every Sunday morning, we come to church here. It's the South, and it's what you do. My family's done this for years and it's what I do. I feel like it's what I'm supposed to do. It's my religious duty or my religious obligation. That's not why we're here. We're here because this is the word of God given by God to us. And he promises that the spirit of God comes to teach the people of God, to work in our hearts, to remind us of everything that Jesus taught while he was on earth to live in us and change us. And one of the things for me in this past month, you know, every week I've been getting to do this in the nine o'clock hour with you all that have been here and last week and this week in this hour, is that coming up this way to teach, we're, you know, we're going to open it up and say, what's God saying to you right now? Let's write some of these truths down. Let's, let, let's hear what God is saying out of his word right now to his people. I told the nine o'clock hour, there's been a real sense of anticipation in me each week of just, what's God going to say? Because it's, been, it's, it's so encouraging and exciting when I hear you say things and I look and it's like, I see it in this text. I, I can look at this verse, like, yeah, I see where that comes from and I see how God is speaking to them right now and saying that thing to them. And, and I hadn't thought about that or I, I wouldn't have said that this morning if I had, just, if I had said this myself. And I really, I, I find myself every week anticipating, what's God going to say? What's he going to do? What's he going to show us? Um, and I find myself coming now with this sense of expectation of, God, you really do this. You speak to us this way out of your word. You speak to your people. You bring your body and your church together for the good of the whole body. Um, and I, I hope that, that you start to come not just, hey, this is what I do. This is my routine. This is my habit. But with a real sense of anticipation, God's going to speak during this time. He has things to say, and I want to hear from him. I'm anticipating what he's going to say. And also, you know, anticipation, I want to hear from him. Expectation, I believe I'm going to hear from him. He's faithful. I believe he will speak. He will meet us here the way that he promises in the truth of his word when his people are gathered and praying and depending on him and asking him to speak. His spirit is here living in us, and this is his word, and he has things to say. And so we come with anticipation, and we come with expectation for God to do this spiritual work. And then we end with talk to God. Again, if this is a spiritual work, the things that God is going to say, you can't go out in your own strength and do them. In your own heart, you can't reach into your heart and change it inside of you on your own. You don't have the spiritual power to do that. If God is going to speak to your heart and speak to your life and he intends for it to have a spiritual impact on you, he has to do it. And so we want to acknowledge that and say, God, we need you to do this. We're trusting you to do this. We're asking you to produce this in us. Talk to God and to others. That very clearly in the Bible, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, that following Jesus, means making more followers of Jesus. That what Jesus gives to you during this time, he intends for you to give to other people, to be spiritually reproducing. That that reproduction, multiplication should be the mark of you following Jesus. We've talked before, um, especially in the nine o'clock hour, that there's kind of three, it's not really levels because you don't move from one to the other, they all happen, but three markers of spiritual growth and and sources of spiritual growth. One of them being that you get fed, that God does bring teachers and and mentors and people to walk alongside you in your life and even gives teachers to the church to to feed you spiritually. And that's something that all of us should be humbly sitting under other teachers and walking with other friends who can speak into our life and feed us spiritually. But then the next level being that, that you also should be feeding yourself. that that you aren't dependent on someone else to always take you to God and take you to God's word, but that you're going yourself, That, that you personally have a relationship with God where you're depending on him in prayer and you're coming to him in his word every day and asking him to speak to you. And that's also a huge reason for us studying the Bible this way, because everything I've just said about God speaking to us in here together, this is what he wants to do in your life all the time in his word, that you would come every day to his word with an expectation that he has things to say to you, and an anticipation of, I want to hear from him. And you would come in dependent prayer and say, God, speak, like, I've got 10 minutes right now in my car. I got, traffic was good, and I got here early, and I ought to be in that building for 10 minutes, whatever, appointment or work or whatever. That's enough time for me to read these two paragraphs in Philippians, or this, this psalm. Will you please speak to me right now? Teach me something about yourself. It doesn't have to be 55 minutes in a room like this. You know, that you're getting up 15 minutes earlier and saying, God, start my day with hearing from you. Will you speak to me out of your word? I'm going to spend the next 10 minutes reading my Bible. Will you please teach me truths about who you are and teach me truths about me and work in my heart and prepare me to live this day in dependence and faith. on And all throughout the day, the little moments that he gives you, the little snippets of time that you can either scroll on your phone Or you can spend time anticipating what he has to say to you out of his word. That this would shape so that we're feeding ourselves spiritually by depending on him. And then you get fed, you're feeding yourself, and then that we're all learning to feed others. That he's bringing people into our lives and we'd have our eyes open and say, yeah, I'm I'm supposed to have lunch with this person once a week. And we're going to read a chapter of the Bible together and we're going to pray and ask God what he's saying to us that I don't have to be the expert because the Spirit of God's the expert. And I don't have to tell them anything because the Word of God will tell them what they need to know. We'll just go to it together and trust God to do this. That's been the other thing for me, the the, the expectation and anticipation piece has been to stand up here. There's been a lot of times in my life um, when I've stood up to teach and I have known what I was going to say. And I can't tell you how much better it is for my heart to stand up here anticipating what God's going to say, and even not knowing, not knowing what he's going to say to you all, not knowing what you all may say, not knowing which direction he may take us. And it has been for me, like with my personality, and that I feel much more secure and much more safe if okay. I know this is what we're going to say, this is what it's going to be, this is how it's going to go. And to stand up here and just say, God, you speak. Let your word be the main focus the Bible and then your words that you say through your spirit today. And you speak, to, we need to hear from you. And if we can get me two more steps out of the way and we can hear from you, let's do that. Um, and so to, to be anticipating what he's gonna say instead of knowing what I'm gonna say. And then I just wanna tell you that you're all set free with that. To sit down in your homes, with your kids, with your, with your spouse, family, friends, neighbors, at work, whoever God's bringing into your life, and just say, I'm anticipating what God is going to say to us in this time. I don't, I don't have it all figured out what I need to say to you. I don't have any of the answers, really, honestly. Like, if you knew my life as much as, as you're sharing your life with me right now, I don't know what to tell you, but God's got something to say to both of us. And so talk to God and others. And that, that's the... The format we're going to be—it's what we're doing each week at nine o'clock—and you're always welcome to come and join us at nine, and then stay for ten thirty as well. Um, and just so you know, actually, when when Michael preaches in the ten thirty service, he usually follows this format. And whether we're doing it interactively or not, it's, it's his sermon preparation as well. Um, and so we we really believe that it's a it's a great spiritual tool for us as a church, making disciples who really are seeking Jesus, following Jesus coming to know who God is in his word and then sharing that with other people. And so I hope that you'll be using this in your life personally, in your relationship with God, with other people, pointing them to Jesus and that you would feel, okay, I never would have thought that I was equipped because I can't do this and 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 whatever all that stuff is, and you would throw it away and you would say, but I actually am equipped to make disciples, to point people to Jesus, to teach people about the Bible because I've got the spirit of God and I've got the word of God and that's all we need. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to read John 21. I'm going to ask you what God's saying to you, what he's teaching you about himself and about us, then what he's saying to our hearts, and then I'll wrap us up with a few thoughts of what I think that God has been showing me or saying to me this week in the text, and then we'll pray together at the end. So will you pray with me right now? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your faithfulness. To meet with us and come to us and reveal yourself to us and and allow us to encounter you in the truth of your word as your people. And we ask that right now you will do that by your spirit, that you will teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. Father, we need you to do it. We cannot do it, not in the ways that really matter spiritually. It is you and you alone and we are dependent on you and we confess that and we declare it and we believe that you are willing to meet that need to come to us in our dependence on you and you give us what we need. And so we thank you and we anticipate what you are doing and about to do right now. And we know that it is all because of Jesus. And so in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, John 21, if you'd like to read along with me. This is after Jesus has been resurrected. He's already appeared to the disciples a couple of times, and this is the next encounter with Jesus uh, that John records for us. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, And two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and who had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. All right. What's that teach us about God? What stands out to you? And then also secondarily, about us. I'll give you a minute as you're looking through and collecting your thoughts by saying this. Normally in life, just a confession, I'm not a super patient person. Like I feel like I can be pretty impatient sometimes when I see something and no, this is what needs to be. This is what needs to be done. Let's just do it. But I find that in this moment right here, I'm extraordinarily patient. So I will wait for you to say something. All right. <laughs> I'm okay with it being silent for a while. So, did I see a hand a second ago? Ah. Okay. All right. What's it teach us about who God is, how he works, what he's like? God provides for us. Are you thinking about with the fish right now? Yeah. Funny how they work all night, and they they were really good at what this is. By the way, this is a great illustration of everything I just said at the beginning. Maybe it was too long of an introduction, and I apologize if it was. But um, about us depending on God to do something spiritual during this time. These are professional fishermen. It's the family business. They've been fishing their whole lives. And when all their human abilities and human knowledge and human expertise and human effort isn't enough to do anything, Jesus shows up and says the word and he does it all for them. And he gives them what they were after, gives them what they need in that moment to have breakfast for that morning, but he provides for them out of his grace, overflows to them and gives them what they were completely unable to to give to themselves. It's it's a great, just in the detail of that story, a great picture of the gospel and God's grace to all of us. What else stands out to you? Yeah. Ooh, really good. Jesus is willing to make us uncomfortable. Does anybody want to tell us the context for Jesus asking Peter the same question three times in a row? Why is he doing that right here? And don't be bashful, you know. Denied him three times, yeah. Just, you know, a few days earlier, the night that Jesus is arrested right before he's crucified, and we will say this for Peter, he was bold enough that he followed Jesus to where Jesus had been taken for trial when everybody else, like all the other disciples, abandoned Jesus. We give Peter a hard time sometimes. They all denied Jesus first by running off. They wouldn't even go with him, except for Peter and John. But when Peter gets in there, three times he gets questioned Do you know, like, do, do you follow Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? And every time he's like, No, I don't have anything to do with that man. Like, deliberately, directly denies him. And not just one, not just. Man, they caught me off guard, and I was scared to death. And He does it, and then he comes back. Here's your chance, and he does it again, and he comes back here, and he does it again. And then Jesus, I think it's Luke that tells us Jesus looks directly at him at that moment. And Peter starts weeping because he knows what he's done. And so this is on the heels of that. And so, yeah, like, uh, one truth here is that Jesus is coming to Peter, and he's not avoiding the awkward thing here. He's not pretending that it didn't happen. He's not trying to sweep it under the rug and just go like, he's willing to come to Peter and say, hey, we need to have an interaction right here within our relationship. We we need to have a conversation that addresses what happened. And he's willing for, and and, you know, Peter's grieved. I wish you'd stop asking me this. I don't want, I I wish I could just forget about it. And I think that's even what Peter's doing when he's going fishing, by the way. It's what he did before Jesus called him. He's like, hey, I failed, I failed epically. I'm just gonna go back and do what I did before. Clearly I can't follow Jesus. But Jesus comes to him and finds him in his failure and is like, I know this is gonna be hard, but we're gonna talk through this. And so yeah, part of it, he's willing to make us uncomfortable. There's more to it. And by the way, if you're raising your hand, it's a lot harder for me to see you than it is me. So if I don't see you, don't, don't be afraid to shout out. Next truth about God, yeah. Even when we fail, As humans, Jesus is going to offer us hope. And we can probably pack a lot more words in right here restoration, grace, forgiveness. Second chances. One of the things that stood out to me as as I was reading it this week and again this morning when we were reading it, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples and then down here towards the end or the middle, I guess really. This was now the third time they already know Jesus is alive, right? He appears to them. Peter's there. Then the next week, Thomas wasn't there the first time, so the next week he comes back and Thomas is there and he lets Thomas feel the nail marks and the spear hole in his side. So he appears to him again. So they know that Jesus is resurrected. They know that everything Jesus has said is true. And here's Peter still like, I blew it. I'm just gonna go fish, like, I was a fisherman before Jesus. At least I can be a fisherman. That's all I've got. And the crazy thing to me is not just that he would do that after his failure, but even after he's seen the resurrected Jesus twice, he's still in that place of despair, in a sense. And then even when we fail as humans, Jesus is going to offer us hope. I want you to think about Jesus coming to him again. Like, when he's walking away from what Jesus has called him to do, I'm done being a disciple and I'm just going to go back to being a fisherman. He's walking away from Jesus. And Jesus doesn't walk away from him. He's giving up on what Jesus called him to do and Jesus is not giving up on him. Yeah, he's failed. Yeah, it's, it was awful. Like it's, it's gone down in history, recorded in the Bible as this terrible moment in Peter's life, but it wasn't too much failure for Jesus. It wasn't too awful for Jesus to come find him and come find him again and come find him a third time. And then this third time, and this is, I think this is the right understanding. When we say that Jesus is willing to make him uncomfortable, that Jesus addresses it directly, I feel like it's almost like Jesus saying, all right, look, I've appeared to you twice, and evidently my resurrection isn't enough to convince you it's okay. (laughs) I took care of it. Like, I've showed up twice, and I've let you see me, and I've still treated you like I'm in relationship with you. There's nothing broken between us. I took care of it, and it's okay. But since that's not enough, here, let's do it this way. We know what happened three times. So I'm going to ask you a question three times, and that'll make it real clear. This is what I'm dealing with right now. But also, we're going to deal with it in a real gentle way. Do you see how gentle Jesus is? Think about what he does not do. And think about us and how different we are about this. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, we need to talk. You messed up. You did some stuff wrong. And it was against me. You sinned against me. You hurt me. You need to come and confess to me. Tell me what you did wrong, Peter. Come on, own up to it. Tell me what you did wrong, and tell me how sorry you are. And then maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give you a job. You know what you can do? You can, you can wash all the other disciples' feet. You, you can't, I mean, good grief, you can't be the head disciple anymore. You can't be the mouthpiece. You can't be the one that preaches at Pentecost and starts my church. You've disqualified yourself from that but maybe if you grovel enough and you show me you're sorry enough and you're sad enough and you, you wallow in your guilt and shame enough, maybe. I'll, but you better come to me and tell me what you did. Does he do that? Does he shame him? Does he punish him at all? I really, honestly, when you read it, the, the text and you hear the tone of it, I don't think that Jesus is coming to Peter at all as if, hey, you owe me something and I'm going to get what I need from you. It's not what he's doing, is it? What he's doing is, we need to have this conversation for your sake. Because you don't think we're okay. And we are. And I want you to know we're okay. You don't think there's any coming back from what you did. And there's coming back from what you did. I've already, I've come back from the dead. So there's coming back from what you did. And so I'm going to ask you three times so there's no doubt in your mind. Because later on down the road, I've got things for you to do. And when you're doing them, these doubts are going to creep in. This guilt and this shame and this fear and these insecurities are going to creep in. And if we don't address it now, you won't have an answer then. So I want you to know there's no grounds for any of it. Yeah, you denied me. And you know what I did right after that? I died for you right after that. That's how much I don't hold it against you. I took it completely for you. And we're okay. Here's how okay we are. Do you love me? Yes, you know. He doesn't say, well, you know what? You didn't act like you love me. Wouldn't we say that? Just be honest. Wouldn't you say that? Why'd you do what you did? You don't really love me. You better start proving it now. Now, what does he say? Okay, feed my sheep. Here's how much we're okay. And here's how much I believe you. I'm going to give you the most important job in the whole world. I'm going to give you the same job you had before. Nothing's changed. I didn't call you because you were so good. I called you because I'm so good. You never were qualified. You can't disqualify yourself when you never were qualified. It never depended on you. It depended on me, and I'm back from the dead. I mean, do you see what's happening in this conversation? And it does. Listen, it hits home for me. For those of you that know my story, there's a piece of it you don't know from this chapter right here. You know, several years ago when I was pastoring, I blew up my whole life with my own sin, my unfaithfulness. Like, my fault falling short, failing, failing my family, failing Jesus, failing the church, all of it on me. Like, as explicitly guilty as Peter is, me. As much as Peter blows it, me and his whole journey for the past four and a half years with you all here at Friendship and with Michael leading the way in restoration and redemption, it's been living this, that, that this is who Jesus is. That this is the gentle and kind and patient and restoring way that Jesus deals with his people when we fail. But the piece of the story that I've never shared with you till right now is one of the very first times that Michael asked me to preach You know, it had been a couple of years since I had blown up my life and, you know, just the sin and scandal and shame was also public and, and a lot of times when I'm going to preach or teach, I get up early on Sunday morning and we have this creek and running trail in our neighborhood and I go down there and run and, um, it's one of my favorite places to pray. I've prayed there a lot the past few years and, um. And I was running, and I was praying, and I, I just I had all the, like, maybe I'm reading this into Peter. And so if I am, just hear it is my own story here. But the, the doubts and insecurities and fears that I imagine Peter has after he's failed this publicly and denied Jesus, I had them all. I just, ooh. How can I stand up here and say anything public to anybody? And, like, I, I know how bad I can fail. So that's not, let's not run that risk again. And I know how awful it is and just the shrapnel and the explosion and the, I don't know if it's worth that. Just, I mean, I could sit here all day and tell you all the things that run through my mind and, and I was praying and I was saying, like, God, this is, these are the fears I have and, and it, it flares this stuff. It, like, it makes me want to make my, like, okay, what can I do to make myself seem better and make myself more <laughs> approvable, um, impressive, like it, it, it flares up in me, this desire to just to depend on me and try to make it. How, how can I die to all that and just trust you and believe the gospel? And if it's what you want me to do, I'll do it. But listen, if it's not, I don't care to never touch that again for the rest of my life. I really don't. Like I'll, I will go let me fish. I'm okay with that. Like I'll sit on that boat for the rest of my life. I probably prefer that. Can we do that? <laughs> um, so I was running, I was praying through all this. And in my head, not audibly, but as clear as day, I heard Jesus say, do you love me? And I said, Lord, you know I love you. And I knew it was his text. And he said, feed my sheep. And I was, I was even struggling with what am I going to say that morning. And, and I felt this really strong conviction, like in preparation of, hate. Everything's got to be about Jesus. So I just need to get up there and talk about Jesus. But I look at it, and I was like, what I thought I was going to say, this is not This is not textbook how you preach. <laughs> like, by the way, this right here is not textbook how you preach. But this isn't going <laughs> to engage people. This isn't going to whatever it's supposed to do. Like, this isn't going to produce anything. People, all the stuff I told you at the beginning we can't do, I feel this pressure to try to do. But I was thinking all that, and he said, feed my sheep, and I just said, I will, what do I feed them? And I heard him again in my head say, I am the bread of life. Like, just give them me. Me, me, me. You stand up for the rest of your life, and you say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And so, yeah, I can tell you, Even when we fail as humans, Jesus is going to offer us hope, restoration, grace, forgiveness, second chances. That Jesus is gentle with us. I would say always, but especially in our failure. Jesus comes after us even when we run away from him jesus is so patient and I I spent a lot of time on this with Peter with this interaction be like what would we have really been like for the sake of the contrast to see how crazy it is to see what Jesus is really like, but again, imagine that you have gone to the cross and died for these people. Like, you know, it was for us too, but like there at the moment with they see him do it, you've gone to the cross, died for these people, gone into death itself, paid for their sins, come back to life, and then you appear to them and show them you're alive. And they go fish, Like, I think, I, I mean, after the first appearance, how many of you are not like, I am done with you all? Like, I, there's a lot more. I can find some more disciples. <laughs> like, you all are the worst. So here, here's, we, I mean, I, I eat fish for you because you think I'm a ghost. I let you see so you know it's really me. I come back week two. I let Thomas have a real up close and personal encounter and still <laughs> you go fish. There's no, I mean, after this, Jesus revealed himself again. You know John's putting again in there for a reason. And then, hey, just so you know, this was the third time that he showed up, and we still aren't getting it. How patient is Jesus with them? And just, you know, this could also be truths about us. We are so stinking slow. Just know this about yourself. You're not getting it all right right now. Be humbled by that and then know that it's normal and that he has grace for that. And that is why we need this. We need this with each other every week. And you need this every day of your life. And you need people in your life that you're doing this with them all the time because you're not getting it all right now. And what you do get today, you won't be getting tomorrow unless you get filled back up on this. Look, we are the disciples, and we need him to come to us and come to us again and come to us again. And he promises that he will by his spirit and by his word. But do you actually even know that you need it? Like, are you willing to admit? Look, I'll just tell you, I am this slow. <laughs> I'm slower than this. <laughs> I need him to tell me stuff and then tell me again the next day and 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 the next day. And the next day, and the next day. I'm not making that up either. Like That's not just some, it'll sound good if I say this right now. I need him to tell me every day. And you need him to tell you every day, and he will. New mercies every day for that day. Are you humble enough to even admit that you need them and come to him like you need them? What else? I've talked so much. So... You've had plenty of time. A few more. Truths about God, about us. Yeah, Um, and I didn't spend a lot of time studying this aspect ahead of time, so check me on this later. Um, Look it up on, on the words. But if I remember correctly, Jesus uses agape twice. And you've, probably, you've heard agape love is unconditional love. It, the type of love that God has for us that's not based on anything in us but completely him. We don't earn it, deserve it. We don't, there's nothing in us that wins God's love for us. It's because he's loving. Agape twice. Then the phileo, like Philadelphia, is the city of brotherly love. That's where that word comes from, like friendship-type love. But, so a piece of it is I think it is like unconditional love. Like the, the love of God between us and then also this intimate friendship love. But another thing that I think might be going on there, if you want to spend time on the word study of the different Greek words for love, is that Jesus says, hey, do you agape me? Like love of God, unconditional love. You're never turning away no matter what. And Peter can't say when he, he's the Lord, you know, I love, Lord, you know, I phileo you. <laughs> now I can't give you what you give me. Like here's what I've got. I do love you, but it's, it's this. It's not perfect unconditional love. It's like, do you agape me? No, I phileo you. Do you agape me? No, I phileo you. And then finally, I think there's also peace. Okay, fine, do you phile me? And it's like, yeah, you're not going to get back with me because you get it all right. I'll meet you where you are. You're right. You're, and it may even be a part of humility on Peter's part. Because remember, before Peter's like, hey, I'll die with you. <laughs> they may all abandon you, but I won't. <laughs> like, this is the proudest. And he falls the hardest. And now we see, hey, I was wrong about that. I don't love you the way I said I did. I do love you. you know I love you. There's something really in my heart for you. I do love you, but not the way you love me. <laughs> Your love for me is so much better than my love for you. And Jesus says, that's okay too. Feed my sheep. I don't need you to do something for me, for me to love you. I don't even need you to love me the right way for me to love you. I've done it for you. And now because of what I've done for you, you can go do this. Because of me, not because, it's not because you're getting it right, Peter, that you can go do this. It's because I got it right. There's so much good gospel here. What else? Truths about God, truths about us. Or what's God saying to your heart? Let's roll it all together here as we're... Really glad we got to that. Obviously, you can tell by the way I've talked, that I feel like we've got a month in John 21 if we wanted it, but we've got a month just in this. Listen, I really believe that everything in my life, if I can remember this verse, it speaks to it. Peter's following Jesus. Jesus has restored him now. And then Jesus turns to him and says, by the way, Here's what this restoration means. You're going to die for me. You know what you said that you couldn't do? Lord, I'll die for you, even if none of them will. Well, you couldn't do it. But now because of what I'm doing in you, you will do it. (laughs) This thing that you failed at so epically, I'll do in you to completion and fulfillment. I'll bring it. You will die for me. So he says, you know, they're going to lead you where you don't want to go this is the kind of death you're going to die. And Peter, so quickly, like from the guy was like, I will die for, for you. Jesus says, hey, okay, yeah, you will. He said, well, hang on, what about John? <laughs> maybe, Maybe, jo- if you're going to make me do this, are you going to make him do this? You know, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus says, why would I talk to you about John? I got things to say to John, I'll say them to John. And Peter, by the way, if I let John live forever and I tell you to die for me tomorrow, you follow me. God's call is personal. God has things to say to you, for you, about your life that aren't for anybody else. He's calling you on a path with him, with him. And the details of it don't matter nearly as much as the fact that it's with him. Who? Matters so much more than what? Who he is that you would follow him wherever he takes you. And if he takes you to extended long life like John, follow him every day. And be thankful that you're getting to walk with him every day. And if he stakes you straight to a cross like Peter, you follow him straight to the cross and you be thankful that he's already been there before you and he's there with you now. And you know that he's worth it in both cases. And then we don't start looking around saying, hey, well, what about them? They aren't your concern. He's your concern. And then this, like this, I know this runs in the face of like maybe everything that culturally rises up in us. Jesus does not promise he's going to treat us all the same. He doesn't promise that he's going to do the same thing to all of us like equally. Now he'll always be fair. Justice. Like justice was served when he died on the cross for your sins. Justice was satisfied. And he will give you everything you deserve and so much more than you deserve because of his grace. Like everything that he has earned, God will justly give you in Jesus. But the idea that he'll do the same thing for nowhere does it promise that. Like he will give you specifically what he designed you for. He made you you in relationship with him in a way that he's not made anybody else. It's why we would study the Bible this way. 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about how God has designed the body. Every single part, differently, with different functions and different Like When you come to this body, God's purpose for you in this body will be God's purpose for you. And it won't be the same as his purpose for me. He will not tell you to do the exact same things he tells me to do. And you can come and be like, you know, I don't really want to do that. What about them? Why don't you make them do that? He's like... Who are they to you? You follow me. He's called us all to make disciples. He said the same thing to all of us. But the neighbors he gives you, the friends he gives you, the family that he gives you, the coworkers he gives you, the opportunities he gives you, the schedule that he gives you is specifically for you. He's not calling somebody else to make disciples in your life. He's calling you to make disciples in your life. And nobody else can do it. He made you for that. It is very personal, and we get so busy comparing and pointing to everybody else and saying, well, I, I wish I had the opportunities they have. I wish I had the gifts they have. If you had done that for me, wh- why don't you make them do this instead? You're not following them. You're following Jesus. And if he can look at Peter and say, hey, you're going to die for me, and following me is enough for you. You follow me. I promise you, he's looking at you saying, I'm enough for you. You follow me. Following me is enough for you. What else stands out to you? God or us, or what he's saying to your heart? <laughs> Jesus knew exactly what Peter had done. Jesus knew exactly what Peter had needed. Jesus knew where those fish were. <laughs> Jesus knows what you've done, Jesus knows what you need. Jesus knows where everything is in your life. It really makes sense for us to listen to him. It makes no sense, humanly speaking, to throw that net out again when they haven't caught anything all night. But it makes all the sense in the world when you realize Jesus is the one speaking. There will be things that he says to you that make no sense, humanly speaking. But they make all the sense in the world because he's the one who's speaking. What else? One more. Something else really pressing on you to say that we need to hear? Jesus didn't just say he loved us. He did something to show... His love, Jesus wants to show His love, like and love in love and action. And so then you do see this as Peter, like application for us for Jesus saying, "Okay, if you love me, it will produce something in your life." Go feed my. What's amazing though, like if you love me, what it will produce in your life is that you're pointing other people to me. You're telling other people about me. You're making me known. And it's not that he, it's not that he, I think, I think you see this with Peter here, the whole way we, that we've, I've talked all morning, is that it's not that he needs Peter for this. This is his grace to Peter. Right? Do you see that? This is him coming back to Peter and saying, I'm letting you do this. I'm, we are still completely okay in our relationship. So much so that yes, I'm sending you to to tell other people about me, to make me known, to make disciples. And so in our relationship with Jesus as we love Jesus we will Live out our love for Jesus in lots of different ways, but one of them, and we're specifically seeing this text, by making disciples. Is that a fair summary of everything you were saying, Tasha? And again, like, this is not a burden being placed on you. This is not a guilt trip, I promise you. It's not. This is not something you do to earn Jesus' love, okay? Okay? It's not, if you'll go make disciples, Jesus will love you and he'll accept you. Jesus loves you and he accepts you. <laughs> because of him, because of what he's done. And now you go make disciples because of that. You don't make disciples in order to get his love. You make disciples because you have his love. And so then the way I think it really applies to us, we say, if there's never like any Anything prompting me to do this and to live this out this way? Like, if, if there isn't any evidence that the love of Jesus is working in me and producing love in me for Him, do I need to come back to ground zero and say, Do I actually have a relationship with Jesus? Or has all this been cultural and habitual and routine and empty religion? Have I done it academically and intellectually? But never spiritually, never encountered the Spirit of God and thrown myself on Jesus and felt the love and grace and restoration of Jesus and the power of the gospel changing my heart. Because when he's working in you, look, you're not going to get it perfectly. You're not going to all of a sudden be, hey, I'm I'm living up to the perfect standards now. Yeah, I agape you, Jesus. That's not where Peter is, but he's got a real relationship with Jesus where he is humbly dependent on Jesus and needing Jesus and trusting Jesus and following Jesus is really there, and so it is producing something in him. And one of the scariest things for us is the way that we could show up and pretend and fake it and give it human expression religiously and there'd be no reality to it in our heart. Have you really encountered the love of Jesus for you? The extravagant, lavish, undeserved, unearned, poured out on you because of him. love of Jesus that chases you down in your failure, in your worst moments, in your sin. That he comes after you and says, because of what I did, we're okay. Will you believe me? Even when you fail Jesus, Jesus never runs out on you. Even when you give up on Jesus, Jesus does not give up on you. Jesus went to the cross and he let the Father abandon him unto death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he experienced in that moment when your sin was on him. He let the Father abandon him unto death so that he will never, ever abandon you. He took all of your failure so that he can give you all of his grace and love and mercy. He went Where you weren't willing to go, where I wasn't willing to go. He died for us when we weren't yet ready to die for Him. We weren't even ready to live for Him. He died for us so that He can make us alive in Him. He offers you new life in Him this morning, forgiveness in Him this morning, grace in Him this morning power in him to make disciples, to feed his sheep this morning. Look, your sin, it's as bad as you think it is in one sense. All right, my sin, the stuff that you all do know, it's as bad as you think it is in one sense. The stuff you don't know, it's worse than you think it is. Your sin is as bad as, Peter's sin is as bad, he denied Jesus publicly three times, deliberately, intentionally. Your sin is as bad as you think it is. But here's the thing. You look at Peter's, how bad it was. It was not too bad for Jesus to come back to him again and again and again. It didn't run Jesus off. He wasn't too far gone. Jesus was not done with him. It wasn't too bad for Jesus to use him and use him in mighty ways. Like he built the church initially with Peter preaching. Out of everybody, out of everybody he could have picked. <laughs> he lets the one who speaks publicly for him the first time when the church is born be the one who spoke publicly to deny him. Do you think that's an accident? Because we would sit here today and say the only reason it would be Peter is because of Jesus. How many things in your life Does he want to do where people would say the only reason it would be them is because of Jesus? Whatever it is, however bad you think it is, it's that bad, and it's not too bad. It's not. He's not done with you. He has not written you off. You are not too far gone. He is chasing you down right now. He loves you right now. He died for you so that he can live in you so that you can live for him. Will you pray with me right now? Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Kindness, patience, and gentleness, and mercy. Thank you that He doesn't beat us to death with our failures. Thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you that he doesn't have a shred of punishment for us at all because he already took all of it. Thank you that you were willing to do that to your son for us. That you poured out all of our punishment on him so that we get all of your love now. Father, will you please melt our hearts with that truth? Change us with that truth. Build your church with that truth. Make disciples with that truth who make disciples with that truth. May we be in awe of the gospel right now in a deeper way than we've ever been before. Open our eyes to see it and our hearts to love it. Stir up faith inside of us that changes our lives. Launch us as your people into your world with your gospel and your spirit make disciples for your glory. We thank you and we trust you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.